dear listener, and you are listening to the Mates of Antares podcast, and we're here to talk about the best game in the universe. We haven't agreed that as a uh, strapline claim, but I'm just going to go. No, I, okay. I, I support that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. And uh, so I'm Chris as ever, and uh, I haven't learned any more about Antares, but I'm still as enthusiastic as ever. So, you know, progress. I'm joined by my very good friend, Clem. Hi, everybody. And our friend, Dave. Hey, thanks for having me back. Oh, thank you so much for joining us, buddy. You're very much the adult in the room here, the person that actually knows what they're talking about. It's so we like are very babysitting much... toddlers. Pretty much, but somehow even more disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although, Clem, have you got your... This is uh, very good for a podcast. Clem, are you wearing your Christmas onesie as we're talking? I am not. And I will okay, not he's say out of, anything. He's out of on his Christmas topic. onesie. Okay, it's, things have got to that level. Okay, fantastic. And... Dear listener, if you're still with us, we are lucky. We are extremely lucky to have Andy with us from Skytrex. Andy, thank you so much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Thanks very much for having me on as well. It's really good to actually be able to chat to you guys, uh, you know, on a podcast rather than just exchanging emails and things. That's all good. Fantastic. Yeah, I often find, and I find this at work as well. If you're using Teams or a message or Slack or something or emails. You, you can often go back and forth on things without really good, getting a good sense of something. Whereas if you just pick up the phone and have a very quick call, or in this case, a podcast, you can relay an awful lot more information, uh, which is fantastic. But thank you so much for joining us. It really means a lot. So, dear listener, so it's nearly Christmas. We've had to push this podcast recording back a fair few times. We're not sure what's happened to Johnny, by the way. Johnny, if you're listening, uh, please do get in touch. You know, we want uh, proof of life. You know, if, you've, if you're holding Johnny somewhere, we demand, what do you reckon, Clem, a finger? Yeah, or a At least one of finger. A, a picture, you know, picture. with Journal of the Day or something like this. Let's let's keep yeah. it uh, good. All right, you know, good. the, the good, classics. Good. Okay. Yeah, it's okay, messy, good. like finger per post is kind of, kind of, kind of a problem. Yeah, good point. Yeah, and what do you think to get him back? What are we willing to? Are we, are we probably give well, some models. We're, we're open. Yeah, we're, we're open for discussion. You know, like, yeah, let's hear yeah. the conditions. Yeah, good the, idea. Good idea. We're open, we're open, but pessimistic. I would say based on that. Okay, good. Uh, super. So let's go straight into the big interview, then, dear listener. This is what everyone wants to hear, and obviously we need to maximise Andy's time when he's here. So, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. So maybe to start off with, maybe you can just talk a little bit of your personal hobby history. Uh, yeah, sure. That sounds great. Um, so I've been uh, wargaming in some shape or form probably since, well, just, I think we were in 94, something like that. Um, got started playing 40K and 4th edition Warhammer when that came out. And that sort of carried on sort of rest of the way through school. Uh, and into college and then after that I um, came up to Nottingham from uh, down south near London um, and uh, whilst up here I thought it was a perfect opportunity to kind of work for a wargaming uh, industry so I worked for a workshop for about three years uh, sort of picking and packing orders in uh, the head office in Nottingham uh, and then managed to sort of you know, do a lot of tournamenting do a lot of uh, painting sort of get to know a lot of the guys that were there at the time sort of, of the um, sort of you know guys who were Probably some of them aren't still there anymore, but people like Alessio and um, you know, a little bit like John Blanche and people like that as well. So it's all really, really good. Um, and then basically continued on, on that sort of trajectory at that stage. So uh, I, I sort of left workshop and uh, set up a commission painting business, 
and uh, did that for about seven years, I think. Um, and then sort of stepped away from that for a little bit and then kind of came back to it. It's, it's like a lot of things. I'm sure you guys find it as well. It's sort of a hobby, certainly the war game hobby as well. You sort of, you, you might step out of it for a little while, but you always end up sort of like being drawn back in like gravity at some point. True words have never been spoken. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Yeah, so Andy, it sounds like you had the classic, you know, growing up, you got in with 40K, playing Warhammer, and then the it sounds even like the classic, if you want to work in the war games industry, starting in the GW packing room and working your way up from there. It's It really sounds like the absolute stereotypical, um, you know, sort of classic journey. And um, funnily enough, you mentioned... Um, Alessio, and I, I'm so sorry, I, I feel like I can't pronounce that name at all. Um, we were lucky, Clem and I were extremely lucky. We went to Clash of Kings, the big Kings of War tournament uh, last, uh, this year, still this year, isn't it, 2023? And mm-hmm. um, lucky enough, a friend of ours came over from the US, Mark, who makes the Magic Universe podcast with us. And he'd organised, he was friends with um, Alessio. So he'd organised to just go to Riverhorse and, you know, just have a chat, buy some stuff. And uh, Clem and I were lucky enough just to sort of tag along, really, weren't we Clem so we we had a fascinating couple of hours um and it was it was what I loved about it but we'd just been to GW where everything is you know hyper corporate and impressive and professional and then we got to Riverhorse and it was sort of like um you know the the guy we're meeting his wife making us you know cups of tea and things like and it was like it was a lot more kind of family feel it was very 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 friendly that was a wonderful time yeah also lovely discussion like uh, it was impressive like he really made a some time for us and have a good chat and it was very friendly that was uh yeah kind of uh, unexpected in a way so yeah, yeah i mean he literally yeah. gave me some terminator models for free and he, ju- he just get handed me i was like oh i've got some of that some you know in the box somewhere i never never even tried to play i've painted up some of the models and he was like yeah help yourself you know as long as i've got one left of everything to make sure there's one one master left remaining you know so i had him <laughs> help myself to a terminator sitting on a motorbike and things like that and it's just like he's just the nicest man that's so so fantastic and you mentioned that as well just uh, being a hobby painter how is i mean seven years to me sounds like a very long time to be doing it is it is it sort of because i can imagine it being sort of sounding like a dream job but the reality being actually quite stressful how how did you find it i mean seven years is a long time to do it right yeah i mean it's i think it was if you were doing it by yourself i think it would probably be one of those things i think people probably do it and i've got great respect for them if they can but um i found it was working in, in a sort of a, in a partnership with um, another friend uh, the original business that we did, were doing is a business called ibis miniatures and we did that in the same business center that warlord first started out in so when warlord was first set up um and they were based in lenton uh well in fact they're still based in lenton but they were based in in uh, the lenton business center um and uh you know uh, paul and, and john um first came into that whole sort of thing after they left workshop and uh, i was very fortunate to be just down the sort of corridor from them so we got to pick each other's brains a little bit and you know i, I helped out with some painting now and then sort of where i could and then obviously wall will continue continue to expand out from there um so there's so many just sort of different people that are all based out of that one particular sort of like grouping of sort of units and things so it's such um, a small world isn't it it's just extraordinary it really is everyone yeah. knows, seems to know everybody amazing but i think at the time that i think that i was there at that point when warlord was still there i think we had um was it warlord was there and expanding river horse was there lucid eye uh north star miniatures uh arcane scenery 
Um, I think at one point Footsaw miniatures were there as well. So there's um, and Great Escape Games as well. I think they've got a presence there. So it's it's the one little tiny hub with all of these sort of like separate businesses in there. So yeah, it was it was good to be able to sort of like be in and around a lot of those things. And then when people wanted like pet projects, doing things like if um, Rick Priestley wanted sort of an army painting or sort of bits and pieces doing. I was kind of fairly well positioned at that point in time to be able to offer services. So, yeah, it, it all kind of was good to to know these people um, sort of on a more sort of day-to-day basis rather than sort of being at the time when I was at workshop and I was very hobby orientated at that point. Sort of like if you saw people like that, like that I'd remembered from growing up and reading White Dwarf magazines and things like that, it was kind of a bit like how distant are these people going to be? And actually the reality, like you said with Alessio as well, is that they're actually not. They're all really, really approachable people. Uh, really, really nice, nice guys to get to, to talk to. So, um, yeah, it was really, really good for that. Um, the paint, the painting side of things, though, it's yeah, it, it it definitely helps a lot if you've got at least one other person in the room with you. So, if you're painting huge sort of masses of infantry or something or vehicles or what have you, it can get quite you know monotonous. Uh, but at least if there's a couple of you there, break it breaks it up a little bit. And worst case scenario, you can all complain about the same thing you're painting at the same time. So that's always good. It sounds a bit like to me like doing a food challenge, you know, where you've got to eat, you know, the world's giantest steak or something. And you're like, you know, for the first 10 minutes, oh, this is brilliant. Honestly, I'm getting paid to do this. And then after the first 10 minutes, it's, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's still not a, a good big comparison. Steak. <laughs> it's still a big steak. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the, the biggest project I've done so far is uh, in, in one like continuous basis anyway was um uh, the the current iteration of painting because I still do a little bit on the side at least now and then for sort of existing customers and things but very very you know very very rare, rarely these days but um, it was um, in the guise of uh, painted war games which is the the most recent sort of iteration of things and um, we worked with um, Alan and Michael Perry and uh, David Marshall uh, and um, from TM Terrain and um, um, my colleague at the time, Rob Henson, as well, uh, to do the Battle of Agincourt diorama that went into the um, Tower of London. And then also it's now in, on permanent display at the Leeds Armoury. Um, and we did, which I think, how many, how many figures we painted? I think we painted 4,100 figures, give or take. I in... think I've seen pictures of this and it yes, looks yeah. absolutely yeah. extraordinary. Yeah, so Clemens, a, fr- a Frenchman, will greatly appreciate that. That's incredible. I will, I will just feign ignorance, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I also wanted to say that um, uh, when you you make your like something you love or like a hobby into your main job, I think uh, one challenge is to find something as a hobby, right? Because when you're tired of painting for work. You can't come home and paint a few models to relax like we we do because our job is not painting models. So mm. I, I guess you, you need to figure out also something outside of work that still brings you relaxation and and pleasure. But uh, anyway, that was me changing the topic. All I'll do. say, Clem, is I'm glad Steve Hildrew isn't on the pod who's on our Mantic podcast because he would have said something absolutely filthy at this point. Super. And Andy, what's the best bit of the the hobby? Um. I really just like the the background side of things. I like the the delving into sort of the histories of these games, the backgrounds of the you know the sort of the characters and the races and things like that within that, um, and also just the, the the actual just the aspect of getting into you know, stuck into playing some games with some friends. It's it's um, or even just complete strangers actually. I, I used to tournament a lot, so it's just a case of just playing games is always good fun. It's a it's a complete sort of disconnect from 
um, uh, other bits and pieces. And it's just, you know, um, really nice just to be able to sort of do that sort of hobby aspect. I mean, I know um, you mentioned that, you know, w- what do you do when you, you know, step away from painting sort of thing? And to be honest, I still, I still do a lot of painting for myself, but I tend to do a lot of um, converting and sort of tweaking around existing ranges and custom ranges and bits and pieces like that. So, um, yeah, any, anything and everything that can sort of um, do along those sorts of lines is just great fun, really. Is there anything in particular, Andy, you, you really like to play or, or work on at the moment? Is it mainly, mostly historicals or...? Um, actually, I think so. At the moment, well, I'm trying to think what I've got. What I've got on my desk what I've, that I'm that I'm working on. So, uh, I've got um, a bunch of cruel seas. Um, I've got some, um, including some bits and pieces that we're working on at the moment that are you know sort of soon to be released. Um, project work that we try and sort of expand upon in Skytrax. Um, oh, interesting. I've got some Antares, so um, the objective markers and things, the new objective markers we released a little while ago just to sort of round out the factions a little bit. Um, you, you know, I made those just because I felt that there was a bit of a gap that existed at that point in time, so that was nice to be able to sort of work on those. Fantastic. Um, and then what else have I got kicking around? Um, I've got some Conflict 47 stuff on my desk. So oh, that game looks that. really cool. I've not actually tried it, but who doesn't love zombies and you know mechs and all the rest of it in weird World War? Looks fantastic. Yeah, and um, I've just picked up some bolt action French. So I've just got the French Starter Army. Um, literally, I think a couple of days ago, um, and so I'm going to sort of incorporate some of the sort of models that we make for um, the World War One range uh, that we've got. Um, and just use those maybe sort of like the basis of doing some nice conversions around the um, the bolt action plastics as well. So that would be good. Really cool, fantastic. And could you, Andy, can you please just give us a quick little history of Skytrax? Yeah, sure. Um, so as a business, uh, well, a named business, it's been around for about fifty years. Um, it started back in 1972, I think it was, uh, kind of making predominantly sort of war games miniatures. Uh, rules, board games, bits and pieces like that. Um, it's sort of branched into making uh, model railway and sort of trains and bits and pieces in the 80s and started with uh, N-Gage trains. Uh, they also bought out uh, the Hinchcliffe range at the time. So sort of the Hinchcliffe range of models um, was owned by Skytrax at that point. Uh, and then they sort of continued to expand into other gauges of railway as well. So sort of O-Gage railways back in sort of the early 2000s. Um, and then in 2013, it changed to its current ownership, um, which, uh, you know, sort of retained most of the staff or a large number of the staff that were there before that. Um, and the uh, the owner um, was also previously working there um, and continued doing contract casting, continued doing um, sort of uh, their own ranges um and model rail products and bits and pieces like that and also working alongside warlord doing sort of contract casting for them at the time um and then back in sort of lockdown sort of time so sort of 2020 sort of time uh warlords um bought skytrax at that point so uh we are fully a part of the war games sorry the warlord games uh family of, uh, of, sort of businesses at that point um and, and then we've continued at that point in time. So um, obviously Warlord took over um, sort of ownership, but we were already working side by side pretty much um, in 2020. Sort of made it sort of more formal. Um, 
And so, then wait quickly. How big is actually Skytrux? Because I, I missed that part. Like how, how big, many people how big work? Is it, sorry. Yeah, how many people work uh, uh, Skytrux? Approximately. Because so I thought it was six. Okay. Yeah, I thought it was one or two, but it's actually bigger and older than I thought. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. So there's there's six of us um, uh, in total, I think, at the moment. Um, it's we, because of the sort of setup we've got. Um, we've got, you know, um, we do all of our own resin casting in house, uh, mold making, uh, white metal castings, um, you know, dispatch and other bits and pieces like that for our own ranges. And also we you know, do contract casting for a large number of different companies. So it's um, yeah, we've got a, a huge sort of wealth of experience as far as the people that are here, um, either directly in Skytrax and the things that they do um or in the industry in some shape or form sort of like from a wargaming background like myself and and some of the others so um yeah there's a there's a fair spread of of, uh, of knowledge base within that and fortunately obviously when we became part of warlord fully um that then gave warlord the opportunity to sort of do other things with certain ranges so um the you know cruel seas gates of antares um and the trent miniatures range that um uh, we inherited from Duncan McFarlane after he passed in 2021. Um, all kind of came in house at that point in time into us. And was it just sort of did uh, and I and obviously don't if don't answer this if you if it's not fair. Is it did did the COVID play a part in the acquisition or was it on the cards anyway and it just so happened to happen during the the lockdown kind of thing? Um. I mean, it was it was before I joined, so I'm not 100%. I wasn't there to witness that side of things. I think it was kind of a case of that we'd been that Skytrax had been working with Warlord pretty much hand in hand for a very very long time already prior to the lockdown. Um, certainly, sort of you know six or seven years at least, anyway, in some capacity. And I think because by comparison, we're fairly small. Obviously, there's six of us at the moment. Warlord's you know far larger directly. It's you know 100 plus people probably um, you know one place or another. Um, but we're, we're quite an agile little team, so we can, you know, um, make a decision on a product, do the molding in the house, get everything sorted and have it casting pretty, pretty quickly. Um, I mean, some of the new, like the new objective markers and things for Antares. I mean, we, we, once we'd created the actual master, the, the thing was actually on the website, usually within a week. So it's just a, a really rapid, uh, option for that and, and so because of that as well we were able to sort of sort of backfill and help out war, you know warlord where needed and things like that so i think it was it was probably always always on the cards to some extent um i think it just got formalized at the time when obviously lockdown was kicking in and the war games industry and and the hobby itself as a general sort of thing kind of picked up for most most uh, businesses around the sort of 2020 mark i think it you know there was definitely a need for people to have things to do when they couldn't actually go out and do so much stuff wasn't there so i think a lot of the hobby industry sort of really did um, see a bit of a boom at that point in time fantastic and you ju- you mentioned there a little bit on of <clears throat> making master molds so at Skytrek, so presumably you've got metal and resin casting facilities. Do you also have hard plastics or is that still at Warlord? So, no, we don't do any of the, um, of the hard plastic castings and um, what have you at the moment. Um, we've, we tend to get a lot of the tooling done and things like by sort of other external companies and people that we were sort of linked to at that point in time. So, um, but yeah, certainly the, the resin and the metal, we do, we do all of that in-house. 
I think often. Warlord doesn't even uh, make their own hard plastic, right? They don't have injection machines in the UK. I don't. Was I don't. It, did believe. it used to be made in Italy, or am I making that up? Is there was there a no, they, they bought, Yeah, I think they bought some kits or partnered with. Was it Italy or no? I don't remember. I thought so. Uh, yeah. I don't. I don't know. Hmm. I think there are some Italiari kits that uh, link into some of the Vault Action vehicles, if memory serves. Um, but I, I think right. they, I think a lot of the plastics and things, certainly the the um, you know sort of the, the direct ones, are probably done by you know a partnership somewhere within the within the sort of situation. I'm sure. I mean, it's a completely specific job, right, to make uh, metal molds for injection and also operate those machines. So I guess yeah, it's just someone who does just that and is very specialized onto those uh, those those tasks. And from a tabletop perspective, I guess you just commission the creation of molds and then order ten thousand sprues and store them somewhere in the big box in a warehouse and repackage them in smaller boxes or something like that. Is that right? I would think so. Yeah. I mean, like certainly our stock, our stock and things comes through um, if we need to replace. And sort of replenish sprues and things. We order them in uh, at that point in time. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if pretty much most companies, uh, with the exception obviously of things like you know, Workshop, just because of the sheer size and scale of it, um, probably have you know third-party companies that specifically do the tooling for the sort of the plastic sprues and things like that, that need to come out. And then you just order, as you say, order in the quantities that you need. Yeah, I mean it's even sometimes different companies that make the mold and then operate the machine that use the mold. From what mm-hmm. I understand, I've never made sprues myself directly, but like other plastic injected parts, and it's a very specialized industry. Uh, and so that makes sense. Nice. And Andy, I mean, it's um, Gates of Antares is a really, really special game. And I think a lot of people that have played it are really scratching their heads going, how is this not really, really, really popular? You know, how is it that more people don't play this game? And I think, sadly, the answer is just 40K, which, rightly or wrongly, um, is, is is probably the answer. What can we do as, as people that just love this game? What can we do to sort of just, you know, get the get? How can we help grow the game or what, what can we do? I think like. Um the sort of commitment that you guys are making already things like, you know, the podcasts and, and sort of people who are actually engaging with the, um, with the game and engaging with the hobby is kind of a really beneficial sort of sense. I mean, the more people that are talking about the game, the more people can then go, well, what are you talking about? And you go, Oh, Gates of Antares. It's amazing. And, and then people can go, Oh, well, I haven't played it. And it kind of sort of one thing leads to another. So I think seeing people playing it in sort of, you know, public settings is always a bonus. Um, you know, we've got, some uh, local uh, gaming groups to sort of Nottingham and Loughborough um, um, based in sort of Lincoln that are very, very passionate about uh, Antares. Uh, and so when things like shows like Partisan come around uh, in Newark, um, there's an opportunity to perhaps look at maybe doing sort of like, you know, some sort of demo games or even just sort of some um, sort of round robin participation sort of events and things and sort of tournaments. And I think when people can sort of see these games being played, rather than just sort of like maybe flicking through and seeing sort of reviews about one thing or another on the internet. I think it really helps. It's, it's such a visual hobby, isn't it, what we do? So it's it's always good to just be able to, you know, see some dice being rolled in anger and stuff getting blown up left, right and centre and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And the models for the game are absolutely fantastic. And a lot of it is in hard plastic, right? So really, really beautiful tanks, beautiful infantry, 
yeah, it's just uh, we just need more players, don't we? As, as Ronnie Renton says from Attic, he always talks about recruitment, which confuses me slightly. But what he means is more more players, more people rolling dice. Um, yeah. But yeah, fantastic. And um, I think you, I, I, I think you've kind of covered it, Andy. Is there any any future developments on the cards? Anything you, you you're sort of thinking of? So, I mean, there is to an extent. Um, it's definitely not something which we're prepared to sort of like just say, well, this is you know everything's been done and explored as as far as it could be because you know there's always the opportunity for sort of more things to be done. Um, I think it's it's the difference is that whereas for example uh, games design or product design or new new ranges and things could be designed um, directly within say Warlord or, or other companies where you have a design studio and sculptors and and, and all these sorts of things um we can facilitate the making of them at skytrex but we we're somewhat limited by the amount of design work that we can do so it kind of has to come directly from either myself or one of my other colleagues um either maybe modifying things or so maybe extrapolating what we can from like digital files and things and trying to sort of create new product at that point in time so we're definitely keen to uh you know sort of release some new options and things and i think the probably the best options at this point in time will probably be we're sort of expanding into the the realms of 3d printing a little bit and sort of digital design and i think that's going to give us more opportunities to maybe take existing ranges that are out there and existing products that already exist for antares and put our own stamp on them to an extent and then produce those which we can then perhaps traditionally mold at that point um to create new units and new characters and new um sort of you know options within the game uh, so I'm, maybe I'm very... we could purchase sorry sorry to interrupt you so right. maybe we could purchase for example a hard plastic tank and then we could 3d print uh you know a new turret on it and it becomes a new variant of that tank or something along those lines as an example yeah yeah i think so i mean i'm i'm really keen to work with the um everybody that's working on things like the nexus and things to to maybe offer out options of things that other people have designed as well so there's obviously a lot of stl files that you can download and, and print at home or, or get printed for various different other antares vehicles and other things as well there's like i think there's some uh, virai um transport i think isn't it i think it's on there and there's a um a, a, another um another boromite hauler i think of, of a variant and so talking to the guys that have done those and sort of saying well look actually could we could we produce a version of that or a similar version of that that would be available for people that don't have access to three 3d printers um to to perhaps pick up if they wanted to and then working alongside maybe if i get the opportunity to do sort of you know, maybe pick tim's brain or rick's brain a little bit more and just sort of say well look if you had to you know come up with a new unit or a new new profile for this that or the other you know what would that look like and and see how we go from there then that's that's kind of i think where where the best options are at the moment i think we can um work alongside the community that already exists and try and expand it from that point and uh come up with with products that kind of kind of work with everybody so whether it's a, a new turret for an existing vehicle that maybe we can combine from other bits and pieces that would be you know definitely an option um but I certainly don't think we'll be at the stage at the moment, at least where we can say, you know, as, as much as it would be a great thing to be able to say, oh, we'll go do plastic boromites or plastic um, isorians or something like that. I, I don't think that's... It'll take some time. Like, yeah, but yeah, and what was. about um, what about reusing some of the existing models, but um, like in slightly different contexts, like make more uh, skirmish version or like a 
smaller size in in the in the sense of how many models you need to play. Um, maybe that that could talk to different audiences because uh, arguably you could say, oh, that's too many models if I have to make a full, you know, um, squad-based army. Mm-hmm. Or um, or maybe some terrain pieces, like you mentioned, you're doing the objective markers for various factions. Maybe some things like this to push even further in exploring the universe that is so interesting, at least to me. Um, I don't know. I think there are uh, plenty of uh, directions that uh, could be taken. But from what I understand, it also depends on uh, the audience, and you obviously cannot invest the required amounts to make new molds for tons of new plastics um yeah i think it'll be one of those things where we'll we, we we're perfectly um sort of positioned and placed to kind of do maybe small sort of batches of um of new figures that you know if the community gets behind them and 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 you know with with plastics as you say if you've got if you have to the companies that have to buy or, or have those plastic tooling things made you might need to sell you know, thousands and thousands of a product before you actually start recouping even on the cost of actually having the mold made. Um, whereas, you know, we can make a mold and we can we can do sort of short runs of resin sh- uh, products or metal casting because we can do it all ourselves anyway. There's not a huge cost in that sense. So there's certainly there are certainly options that we can do. And, you know, we, we'd be happy to sort of do things that, that the community can just sort of jump behind. So there are a few um, terrain pieces that I'd like to work on. I've kind of got some preliminary bits and pieces that I'm working on at the moment. Um more for a piece that it'd be nice to have some sort of like you know antares themed um sort of terrain or maybe even sort of structures and things that people could actually then use to to mount as hard points and things for um support weapons and, and other bits like that so that sounds really uh amazing i mean for me as i said it's really like the universe is so rich and so anything that keeps fleshing fleshing this out and giving me opportunities to play games that are strongly based in that environment and not, you know, random sci-fi terrain pieces that just mm. happen to lay around in the gaming shop or in my collection from playing or, or tons of other games. I think this really adds some something special to the game. And, and, uh, and Andy, I think as well the idea of terrain. You know, I'd bite your hand off for some gar terrain, for example, but just because mm-hmm. I think it's fascinating thematic. And then it really leans into one of the things I think Antares is best at, which is narrative gaming. So I think that would be absolutely amazing if that's something that could happen. If you could, if you could sell us those files, I'll definitely buy them. Um, and something Clem mentioned, uh, which I think is interesting, is that I don't think the issue with the game is not the range. The range, you know, the range is already pretty big. I mean, okay, you can say Boromites aren't in plastic, Asaurians aren't in plastic, but mm. you do have C three, you do have Algorin, you know, in in hard plastic. So if you really, really desperately want hard plastics, they have hard plastics. Clem mentioned there an idea of, and I know this isn't really a question for you, Andy, but an idea of a skirmish variant to me actually sounds like a brilliant idea because you know you can say to your friend, hey, buy this box of models. It'll cost you thirty pounds, forty pounds, whatever it is. Maybe it's got a you know a strike force, and it's maybe it's got some you know some other little gubbins you need. Maybe just a couple of dice in there or something. I don't know if it would work with all the dice, whatever. But just mm-hmm. just give people a very very easy on the surface cheap buy in, and then once they've had a great time, they've bought those models and go, wow, these models are fantastic. You know, they have a good time playing the skirmish game. 
And then it's like, well, it, you know, once if I you're spend there, another, yeah, well, exactly. And, and it's what I wanted to say is, the door. Then once they're there, yeah. it's very everything on top of that is a lot easier. Particularly when the product is so good, the models are great, the it game's is. amazing. This is and it's this stuff is so exciting. So if you, we can just get people to just come with this, and if you're listening, dear listener, and you're sitting on the fence about buying a, you know, Gates of Antares army, it's you know, it's New Year, new army. You know, now is the time. And obviously the best message or the best, uh, you know, the best way we can get this game to to grow and evolve is, yeah, put some money down, you know, put your money where your mouth is, buy an army, find find a friend to play with and just let's let's play. This is this is an incredible game. Honestly, I really think we were joking at the beginning saying this is the best game in the universe. This game is absolutely amazing. It's so fun. It's so such a terrific rule set. The the lore is amazing. It, this is a cool game. And I'm going to put myself on mute, guys. Sorry. <laughs> I, I just wanted to, just to add to that that in regards to a more of a, a squad level set of rules. On the Nexus site in the um, rules section, there are a set of, you know, quite simple rules called incision shard which is essentially for playing antares with you know uh, a handful of models each side so that concept of a, a very light skirmish game already exists and it's it's on the nexus antares incision shard i need to look more into it but i think when i when i say light is uh, on in the initial investment in like you just need a box and maybe a mo- uh, additional hero or commander or something like this and then you can jump right into a very rich universe also wanted to mention the um, obviously i've i've seen uh, antares model for pretty long time you know like on the shelves or on websites and they look okay you know like oh yeah this is an interesting range and maybe i'll give it a try at some point and never really went much further for uh, until not long ago. And then um, Andy, you sent me some models to uh, also have a look. And I have to say, I was really impressed. But like they are even better when I had the sprues and the models in my hands. And I think Mentic has kind of the same issue. Like it's hard to take good pictures of models and to really show uh, how good the stuff actually is. And so anything that can get those uh, nice calls, these nice sprues in the hands of new people is, in my opinion, a, um, a win and um, a good way to convince more people to uh, be more invested in the game. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, um, it's, it's, you know, it's the key, isn't it, to getting people uh, interesting things. I mean, the game itself has got such a huge pedigree as well. I mean, it's been, you know, it was written by Rick originally. It's, you know, he's, he's, he's obviously pedigree in, in war games design and, and background and everything else is, you know, right up there with the very top of the sort of the top of the tree sort of thing. Um, and the game is really good fun. It's, it does play really, really well. Um, certainly, I think the fact that you can, you know, all the rules now are free on the, on the Nexus. The um, option for a skirmish side of things already exists, like like you mentioned. But um, yeah, it's it's certainly it's certainly up there. I think people, um, I think everyone I've seen who's come into it having never touched it before has always said the same thing, which is this is really good fun. And actually, I'm surprised by how good this is, and why have I not heard of this particularly much? Or they've heard of it, but it's it's really in, in passing that sort of thing. So yeah, I think it's just a case of getting more people to play. Um, 
and kind of going from there. Uh, it was very, something that was very keen about with the um, sort of getting people started side of things was when uh, we released a starter set just recently. Um, and uh, I think, Clem, did I send you a starter set? Was it? I, I can't remember. Was it a two-player yes, starter yes. set? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Amazing. And, amazing box. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's just it's just a nice sort of like uh, intro point. I think for most people, it's it's um, sixty pounds. I think it is currently. Um, so it's crazy need, good value. There's a lot such of such good value. Yeah, such good value for you and your friend to get playing thirty pounds each. With you know, you have the dice in there and everything. It's just it's absolutely amazing. Okay, I think guys, to be honest, let's come on, let's do this, Clem. So before the next episode which will probably be in two or three months let's let's estimate the, the, before the next episode of the podcast dear listener, in join in. So, so clem you're going to i'm committing you now to building painting this your starter box and then when i see you at the end of march we are going to play a game of the skirmish variant which uh, which they very kindly mentioned earlier Let's give it a try. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's good. do it. So, dear listener, join us. I will also do the same, although I'm many armies in at this deep, and I'm sure we'll talk to, talk about it uh, when when Andy's uh, when we're not interviewing Andy. But um, yes, so let's check out. Let's all check out the rules for the skirmish game, and let's you know paint up a strike team or strike force or whatever the terminology is. Where we're learning as we're doing, dear listener. Well, I mean, and, um, let's play some games. Team. The key point, Chris, is also bring in a friend, right? Like, yeah, right. If you don't, if you're listening to, to the podcast, you do probably two, are get already your friend to in play it. it. So yeah. take the skirmish version and uh, grab a friend and uh, play it with them, and uh, that's how you build a community. Like, it doesn't need to be huge, right? You just need to be vibrant and uh, just hire one person at a time. Get and, get pictures uh, on the Intel right? page as you're working on it. Let's let's build some excitement for this. And let's let's do it, and then we'll go from there. You know, after the next episode, fantastic, Andy. Thank you so much for coming on the pod. It's been absolutely fantastic having you on. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you you want to mention for us? Um, not that I can think of, to be honest. I mean, thank you for having me. It's been great, and I think I'll um I'll you know I won't necessarily pick up. Well, I've already got the starter set. I must admit. So I think what I'll do is I'll rather than playing the skirmish set with the um, the game with the starter set. I think I'm I've got a hankering for a um, Algorin uh, Hazard Strike Force at the moment. So quite right. I think so. uh, I think I'll, I'll get so. one of those together and then see what, see what I can do. But I'll I'll, I'll make sure I put uh, pictures and whatever else up mm-hmm. on the uh, website and uh, I'll send you guys some as well as and when I get going with that particular force and and go from there. I think it should be a case of we'll just uh, keep doing what we're doing and uh there's there are new things afoot let's put it that way uh, and any of the old bits that sort of existed that then di- disappeared for a little while or, or weren't available for a little while i'm you know i'm actively keen to try and bring those back so things like all the head variants and things like that for the uh, concord and and the uh, sort of starter armies and other bits and pieces um that's that's, that's something i'm very very passionate about trying to you know give people more options to convert up their armies and things Fantastic. so I think watch I think the space, then we'll see. That's a big strength for the game. Like uh, this isn't the something that needs to answer to shareholder. It's uh, something you're very passionate about, and that's what uh, keeps it going and uh, is at the core of all of it. And so for us gamers, is also a very good sign, I think, because we we know this is done with passion, so, and that's meaningful, at least to me. 
Yeah, 100% clone. There's no shareholders anywhere in sight, are there, to be quite honest. Hey, Dave, are you going to join us on our, what are we going to call it, strike team quick chat paint challenge? What's catchier than that? I don't know. Are you going to join us? That, that's, that's quite catchy. The, um, <laughs> at the moment, I'm trying to think what I've got left to paint. I'm just... Um... I mean, we'll we'll cover this off more 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 later. I think. Star outcasts. Yeah, let's talk about. Yeah, pan, yeah. fantastic. Let's talk about it later. I mean, and, and guy. Um, sorry, Clem, go for it. No, I just wanted to say we'll cover it next time once it's done. So. Right. Good point. Well, no, because we're we're only on section one of the pod, guys. And yeah, that's, um, true. that's true. Dave or Clem, are there any questions for Andy before we let him go and enjoy his Christmas? He's covered absolutely everything. Thank you very much for uh, accepting the the invitation. It's been great to uh, to, to speak to you today. It's been uh, been fascinating. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, what I'll do as well is any uh, little sneak peeks and bits and pieces that I can uh, sort of share as and when we were um, able to sort of do so. I'll uh, ping you guys a message and I'll pop it up on the uh, Facebook pages for everybody to see as well. Oh, so it'll be on the perfect. Skype page. Um, there is a possibility that we might be um, looking at seeing whether or not we can move into offering um, maybe maybe some busts as well. That might be an interesting thing. Ooh, some of the most characterful pieces. Would that be 3D project. printed, do you think, or would that be resin casted and sold to us? Um, it may well be resin cast, but we will have to see. It'll be one of those things where we might do the original um, design work on the on the 3D print, and oh, also we'll go from exciting. there. I'm pretty obsessed, to be honest, with the law of the algorithm, um, which I'm sure we'll get into, dear listener, uh, a little bit later. But um, yeah, I, I, normally I don't go for a bust, but but to be honest, in this situation, I'm I'm really into it. So yeah, be, be interesting. And Andy, Clem always refers to me as very casually corrupt, which is absolutely true. So you know, if you want to use the pod to quote unquote leak any secrets or you know whatever we can do, uh, obviously uh, we're we're happy to do so. And and obviously we we love this stuff, so we want to help Skytrax as much as we possibly can. Super. Yeah, we're um, the fan club in case it wasn't obvious. So we're <laughs> part of the fan club. And uh, we'll be very happy to have you again on the pod if you want to come back and uh, tell us about whatever you're working on or, you know, it's always a pleasure. That sounds great. Yeah, maybe I can uh, accidentally sweep a camera across my desk with uh, a few projects scattered about or whatever else and sort of tease it a few little, a few things that way. But I'll, uh, yeah, I'll, as soon as I've got some stuff, uh, some more stuff, uh, stuff to share with yourselves and obviously your listeners and the community as well, uh, then I'll, I'll be uh, happy to get that out there and to just sort of show that uh, you know the game is is really really worth getting uh, getting stuck into. It 100% is. And dear listener, don't forget get over to the Skytrax website. Get yourself a, a 60 euro, 60 pounds starter set. Get yourself that lovely looking, cool, super cool sci-fi tank. You know, treat yourself. You deserve it. You know, Christmas is coming. You know, uh, just uh, treat yourself. And uh, that'll make, obviously, the decision of, of, of Andy about what to what to provide going forward a lot easier if there's, there's mo- big money coming in. Super. Thanks, Andy. Super. I think we'll let you go. And um, we really appreciate you coming on the pod. Thank you. All the best, guys. Okay, thanks very much for having me, and I will catch you in the new year. Cheers, buddy. Super. Bye. There we go, guys. Fantastic. So that was the big Skytrax interview. And um, for me, it was very, uh, very reassuring and very uh, sort of illuminating, I would say. it's. I think the the relationship of Warlord and Skytrax is sort of as I imagined it, um, but I have a real sense this isn't going anywhere, and 
you know we're in a we're in a really good spot obviously we want to get new players in i think it's fair to say that was that came across loud and clear to the dear listener but i think it's a it's in a stable place i would say um it might be on live support but it's in a stable place and we just need to get more people playing these this amazing game and uh, you know hopefully we'll get a bit more support from skytrax but the range is already massive right we just need opponents and people to roll dice with and tell cool sci-fi stories with exactly super right so should we go back to our our notes dear uh dear, you know dear listeners yeah do Wait. you want to do the introduction to the show chris yeah <laughs> yes welcome everybody fantastic yes uh yes so um where why not come on we're in this now so uh everyone don't forget there's another antares pod and I think I'm getting this right. It's called Between the Games of Antares. Hey, Clem, that was so funny. So I met these guys. So they they meet in Pool, which is about 45 minutes drive from my parents' I house. I forgot in the to UK. say something, Chris. There's another pod, and they are actually good. Oh you know, yeah, they, they, they actually know what they're doing. They yeah, know the rules. They know they're they're competent. I know, no, no, no. Let's not Dave. let's not tarnish Dave with our brush. Um, so <laughs> come on, <laughs> on the wrong podcast. And, Sorry. And, so it was this preposterous situation, right? So we started this podcast because there weren't any other podcasts. And it's like, come on, we make a Mantic podcast. We can, we can do this, right? Um, so they were expecting their podcast to go live on a particular day. So they were, you know, checking Spotify or whatever to see if it had dropped. And, of course, they didn't see, you know, between the games of Antares, they saw the mates of Antares, and uh, they they were very very confused. So it's like, did did the guy editing it? Did he decide to change the name of it without telling us? And so they were super super confused. And I think it caused quite. I mean, what are the odds? It was exactly literally as they were expecting their podcast to go live. Another Antares podcast, the oldest existing Antares podcast, Clem. The oldest, what well, the you know That's, the original. Yeah, I mean That's the us. original, the the, yes. the best stuff, of course. Yes, absolutely. It's like it's a lot like if you're a twin and saying I was I'm the oldest one, you know. Yeah, but, no, we were uh, we were the best podcast for about twelve hours or something. Well, it was until a they wild ride, Clem. It was a wild ride. Great, but dear listener, get over and listen to that. They do a, a super job. They've also had three episodes, so you know, you know, it's um, the comparisons will go on. I think super. So uh, let's talk about hobby stuff. Dave, what have you been working on at the moment, buddy? Well, I think that uh, last time when we were speaking, I was working on some um, Ascar, painting them all up as, as orange, and I finally managed to make my way through all four squads and a command group. And I carried on, and now I'm almost all the way through my Isaurian army. I've got um, four Zan left to do, and a bunch of uh, tanks, and at the moment in front of me are uh, a squad of jet bikes so I, i'm getting through it and when i'm you know finishing them off taking photos popping them on the uh, on the facebook group as well for everyone to see and it's been uh, been very enjoyable so that's what uh, that's what i've been painting um along with that um the, on the previous podcast we'd had some uh, questions people asking what's the, the the best starter army for concord what's the best starter army for algorithm and so i um have revisited my uh, listing to port uh web page uh, that kind of just goes into looking at the different ways of 
building army lists for all of the different factions that there's uh, a starter list on there for all of the uh, Antares factions now and yeah but that's that's pretty much what I've been been doing for the past, past yeah few, this few is months. fantastic this is fantastic and I must admit Dave it warmed my heart when somebody was asking about lists and you said oh as I mentioned on part two of the mates <laughs> of Antares podcast you can go here yeah. so it's but it's even even if we've you know something you were doing previously you know even if this has just inspired you to go back and do that it feels like yeah that's a that's a little improvement that it, people it will always, see it was done recently you yeah, know it's it was fantastic. something that i had planned on doing but i mean with the way that the army lists and things are, are working now it was almost like oh there's no point that you know because you can just literally pick absolutely anything almost you know you've got a handful of these guys and, and you're away you've you've got your core choices but uh, just seeing the the number of people asking the questions it was like well maybe maybe there is a little bit of hand holding needed there as well so uh yeah for but people also, like me who are stressed out you know it's even if it's uh, anything would work to see one thing that i know oh that guy knows what he's doing and so it's not a waste of my time or my energy to yeah. start with this right there, even if I could have come up with this probably on my own. But it is very reassuring, and uh, I think it's very helpful for the first step. And that first step is critical, right, because that's how we actually do get new players. Yeah, It's so. exactly what I was going to say. It's a really good sign people are asking, though, right? It's a really, really good sign. Fantastic. And um, super. And then maybe... Um, We'll talk a little bit about what I've been up to. So I actually bought um, two, uh, just on eBay, um, two people were selling off their collections. Um, so uh, yeah, why not? You know, so I got some lovely, lovely painted um, Algorin, more more Algorin. And I also got a smallish army of Asaurians. Um, but it's enough, Is you know, smallish it's enough for a medium the game. right term. It's a pretty decent size. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, it's respectable. It's a good start, Clem. Let's put it like that. But it's um, yeah, both were were decently painted. Um, and to be honest, I have to kind of go back over my algorithm and go, oh, kind of make these. So I've darkened the red on them a little bit to make them, you know, to match, obviously. But also, the guy I bought them off, he's a better painter than I am. So I'm going to have to do some more work on my algorithm, which, to be honest, I'm actually quite happy about. Because um, if anyone listens to our Mantic podcast, I'm I'm going on a big. I've improved at painting recently, actually, Dave, and I've I've kind of gone on a big kick of going revisiting models I've already painted and just making them a little bit better, like 20% better. But so I've been watching it. people using things like oil washes and things like that, and I'm thinking, what are they using those for? So I'm watching the videos and things, and I've gone out, bought myself a bunch of uh, Winter and Newton oils and some mineral spirits, and I've had a go, and the first few attempts weren't the best, but yeah give it a go that even though you see these fantastically painted things on the interwebs and you think i am never going to paint that well just just practice give it a go uh, i know there's a, a a lot of places um online uh, i've you know, followed some people on instagram who are fantastic painters and it's like there's no way i can do that but you know get in there bit at a time and and you, and you pick it up yeah, exactly. And also, to be honest, you know, if you're aspiring to be as good as the professional painters that make a living off this, 
you know, you're probably you're probably going to be disappointed. But if no, you just I mean it's easy, Chris. Own... Just paint paint ten thousand miniatures, and the next one you paint is going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But so yeah, in the meantime, obviously, um, it's a question of uh, of how much time do you have to uh, put into painting the models, and as you're doing, Chris. It's always an option. I mean, sometimes people say never touch a model you've already painted, and I think it's a it's a bad advice. It's a good advice if it helps you move on and not get stuck on one particular model, one particular faction, and uh, try to improve it, but you just run around in circles and not really improve it by just doing the same thing over and over again. But after some time, if you've made progress on your painting skills by doing some other stuff, it's perfectly fine to revisit an older army and uh, maybe, you know, improve a few things that you weren't too happy with here and there and uh, get this army back onto the table, both on the painting table and then on the gaming table. Um, yeah, I think that can work. I very much subscribe to the theory. So our, our good friend Mark says, you know, he's he's famous for saying the best color is done or something to that effect. And I very much subscribe to that. Um, but maybe if you're quite an obsessive person, so for example, a, f a good friend of mine who lives here locally, I've tried to get him into Kings of War and Kings of War Armada, the, the ship, um, the on high seas game. Um, but actually he's kind of stressed out. He basically hasn't really started because he's stressed at the idea that he can't paint them as good as the ones on the box are. And of course, then you're stuck in a catch 22 situation of what, of course, well, you'll, you'll never, because you're not improve, you're not practicing, you're not improving. And of course you're not playing the game because your stuff's not ready. So that's always a shame. So perhaps if you're a more, uh, a more of a perfectionist and, 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 you know, I'm whatever the opposite, what's the opposite of a perfectionist, whatever that is, that's me anyway. Um, so pretty um, much. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Clem can say that as a very good friend of mine, he can confirm Chris is definitely not a perfectionist. It's, it's definitely one of your strengths, buddy. So you should be proud of it. Yeah, you know, it's you know, I I, I do tend to get stuff done, don't I, Clem? And um but I, what I have what I have been working on and kind of the first model. So we we actually on our sorry to give it another plug, our Mantic podcast, we had our good friend Scott on who does a, a YouTube channel called Palette Awards. Scott is an amazing painter. And uh, just from giving him a little interview on our podcast, I actually was thinking about it myself. Of, OK, well, I, I just focused on a couple of the the advice, the, the pieces of advice that Scott gave me as, as we were talking. And um the first thing I did was get out, and you'll remember this, Dave. I hope because I definitely don't remember. What's the name of the Antares, the um, <clears throat> Algorin hero, who's basically the, the leader of the rebels? He's the you know he's the kind of liberal wing. Taras Janar. Taras Janar, exactly. So I had his model, so based it. And then I started painting it and I, I shared photos on the Intel Intel group and I painted his armor green and I was I was really, really happy with that model. I spent loads more time than I normally would. I was trying to think about the light, which I never normally do, and is you know, the first thing that anyone ever talks about that knows what they're doing is okay, think about light. Um so yeah, so that was a model. Um please, uh, dear listener, please go onto the uh, intel facebook group and have a look um so i was really really happy with that so i got got him painted up of course the issue i've got now is i'm going to have to uh buy a load of algorin models so that i have some he has some friends because all of my algorin are red and that means you know they are the 
what would you call them? The conservative faction within the Algorin society who, um, you know, they're in a tricky situation. Yeah, exactly. So they're read, they're led at the moment by this overachieving uh, uh, lady leader who's led them into a series of massive catastrophes that they can ill afford. So it's a tricky, I I think my, you know, I think my uh, base uh, opinion on what the algorithm should do is go, well, you know, you're, you're pretty small. You're, you're, you're tiny compared to your quote unquote competitors. You're only really on the, uh, the Antares because you, your gate was the first to open. I think you really need to knuckle down and stick together and all the rest of it. You know, let's, let's not, it's not a good time to have a rebellion, should we say, but the trouble is the people in charge are so incompetent that, well, maybe, you know, if things stay the way they are, they, they won't be sticking around for long. Dave, is that, what do you think? That's, you know, certainly one opinion that, but uh-huh. I, I mean, Tares Janar, he, he's gone and, you know, committed a cardinal sin, essentially, by fraternising with, nice with Concord others. at Xylos. And, you know, infected himself and all his technology with those horrible Intel nanites and things so you know how, how on earth he could even be let in let back into the algorithm prosperates um is, is is just an abomination yes but you know it's a tricky it's a tricky time and the the lady running things who is not an abomination is doing an abominably bad job so you know what? but you're right i mean it's what's their i mean what's their priority really i mean how desperate they're, they're probably not desperate enough now to accept such radical such a radical back right but you know maybe a couple more catastrophic defeats well we'll see how the narrative progresses my name's andy isherwood i am the business manager at skytrex and very pleased to be able to uh, join the guys here at the uh, mates of antares podcast oh i also started painting up um some gar battle suits i painted up i think six um three of the uh, two sets of three of the different variety i think gar bombers and i forget what the other one's called and of course because i'm insane i went for yellow was my theme of course the nice easy color of yellow um and i yeah it's again they they go into the pile of i don't mind them they look fine but if i have a chance i will go back and spend a bit more time putting a bit more love into them as, as previously discussed. Um, but yeah, it's lucky I've painted some gar because that very much fits into, uh, uh, to, to our topic of the month or, or our, the shard, our law section anyway. Sorry, not topic of the month. Super. It does. And as you said, it's, uh, even if you're not entirely happy with your paint job, it's better than mine because mine doesn't, is not existent yet because I have been painting the living room and the bedroom since we moved house. And uh, I haven't set up everything back up yet, but I'm, I'm getting close to it because uh, now it's like the, the winter break. So I have uh, almost a couple of weeks to myself and uh, I will also take some time off and to finally go and assemble some of the models that I, that I received now a few weeks back and, uh, and get started on our skirmish uh, squad version. So, yeah. One of the things that helped with my uh, painting problems as well, the uh, perfection paralysis, that not wanting to start painting in case it wasn't quite as perfect, is I bought myself a bucket of BioStrip. So if it wasn't any good, I could just stick it in there. And then in a couple of days, I'd have the model back. 
That's a oh, good. So did that uh, take the pressure strategy. off you? That, that's, did... it, it. It felt liberating. That I I didn't have that pressure of it doesn't have to be perfect the first time and and if it's not very good, just you have the undo button. Stick him in the stripper, and uh, yeah, just ju- just wait a, a a couple of days and then fish him out, wash him off, and yeah, back to back to the start again. Out of interest, did you ever revert to that? Did it ever actually happen, or was it just the the knowledge you could? Uh, there was only a couple, but it was just that kind of knowing it's there just in case, and that facilitated that kind of well, I can paint these things now, knowing it's not going to be a problem. Uh, the most recent time I used it was um, the free miniature of the month from. Um, games workshop uh, that were given out the uh, little rhinos for mm. legions imperialis and i t- tried painting it in a kind of traditional way and it's like it, it just didn't look good and so that just got dunked in there and it's like well it doesn't matter because now it's back to base gray and not worried about it at all and it's the only one i've got so you know it's it, it, it just kind of goes to help me with uh, that kind of worry of it's not going to be perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect. I just have to practice on these uh, <laughs> this different scale, diff- different uh, types of models. And yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's quite liberating. It sounds, Dave, like that really speaks to your personality. Is that a good, very good example? Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. I mean, that's the, that's the human brain for you right there, right? There's... Uh, just find find out what your own quirks are and yep. uh, how to navigate them and make the best out of it. And I find it brilliant. I think uh, I, I might steal the idea because I do have a bit of a similar tendency. Or I, I have to admit I'm more like a Chris, uh, but 20% of the time. So I will procrastinate for 80% of the time, and then one day I'll, I'll wake up and say now it's time i need to paint this army i need to paint that and then do a chris and paint it over the weekend Uh, but i think the one thing that blocks me from getting started is i need to know i'm gonna do an okay job and so having the undo button option somewhere sounds like an appealing um, element yeah thanks for the tip and guys there's a question in the in the notes Oh, sorry. Sorry. Before we go to it. So, Clem, have you I don't I mean, I know obviously you've had, you know, life stuff, big, big, big stuff happening to you. So I don't think you've put as much thought into it as you necessarily would have. Is, have uh, you put any more thought into which faction you might go for? I so I think uh, where did we leave it last time? I, I was quite happy with uh, with the approach of um doing some historians at some points because I love the models but I have the feeling what I really want to do or what I also makes the most sense for me is to build two small forces and so this is great I have the starter set for it and so I want to start with that um, and so the C3 and Algorin I think are in the starter yep, if I remember exactly. correctly yep, exactly. and I think they also they are a good representation of what the universe uh, can bring and uh, they're also a good entry point for whenever i want to talk to someone new about the game and uh, and play a quick uh, intro game uh, 
And there's um, a couple of good starter army list suggestions on the listing to port websites. Hey, that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly what I'm what I'm gonna do. I think that's uh, because as I mentioned, like I'm the type of person who will overthink something and uh, try to anticipate all of the potential issues and developments and uh, not get started until <laughs> quite late on it. And so that uh, takes away one pain point from me and uh, seriously will uh, allow me to just grab my, my uh, you know, hobby equipment and get at it and build uh, an army. No, but I know this list will work and uh, I can play a few games with it. And once I'm there, then I, I'll know what else I want to build and what else I want to add to this space. But I know at least this is a good first step. So it does help a lot more than you might uh, you might think, Dave. So thanks. And so and just to think about it, Clem. So maybe it's more. I think it, that's the, exactly the right approach, right? You've got two factions that they're not skew factions. They're you know they're getting. I really think of them. You're playing Antares, right? It's squads of guys. You're playing tactically. There's no weird things going on with the gar or something like that. So I think they're two fantastic factions to start with. Um, but maybe then it's more important to think, okay, when when are you playing? Because that um, I think it was was it called Car Nine or something that the, these I think there was a box set which also even had a couple of like learn to play the game scenarios and there was a story as we said the character we mentioned earlier at the end of a campaign he um, he basically kind of went rogue um, so there's there's very very rich story there if you want it Clem so you, obviously doing a demo game you're just learning the basics yep. etc but you know if you're thinking about okay where are we where's this where's the table what terrain do I need etc which brings us on beautifully to our ne next little point so we wanted to talk a little bit about terrain I mean Antares <clears throat> it's a game and a universe where you know you can travel through time and space to theoretically you can make a story up your anywhere at any time any time right so <clears throat> you could be absolutely anywhere but i would suggest um the uh, a couple of tips is obviously there's some lovely high sci-fi hi-fi i think we called it in the pod high sci-fi terrain out there there's mantic make nice terrain but mantic also make really really nice um and their terrain crate range they make kind of like a sci-fi forest with sort of man-eating plants and stuff like that that looks absolutely lovely. So that's, um, if you're in yeah, the market, some of these, rather than uh, using railway trees or something, it's, um, it's, a, it's a big it improvement. fits very well. I would almost say, to me, it's it looks more like entry stuff than uh, Mantic stuff. You know, I like agree with you, trees. buddy, yeah. You know what I mean? Like when I saw them, I was like, ooh, that looks really good. Like those are trees with a personality like that I want to see on a gaming table. That's exactly the type of stuff. I want to see on the table, but it's not 100% what I imagined the Mantic, so the Warpath universe to look like. But Antares, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah I completely agree with you, actually, buddy. Now you said that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But you could, I mean, you could do literally whatever the heck you like, right? But yeah, a few sci fi buildings, some nice, nice Mantic sci fi forests. I mean, the, have a the table you built, like uh, where we we played, it was really really nice. Like uh, some, um, like uh, solar panels, some futuristic looking vehicles. Um, I don't know, like it really gets you some place, like transports you. Oh, this is a 
this is this is a high sci-fi uh, universe and, and world and looked really pleasant to you know have a game on yeah definitely buddy so the interesting i'm glad you mentioned that the the kind of the solar panels slash shield type um bits were um were actually from the uh, you know they're freely available um from the um the app i forget what it's called now apologies dear listener um so it's it's all there for where you get the you know is it called the shard the, where you get the free rules it's 3d printed the stuff so right? it's 3d printed yeah yeah so you get the files out completely for free and and print them um and then i i made some so clem you very kindly um cut me some mdf shapes so i use that as the base of like um i wanted to have um like an abandoned camp so i think i said in the story it was a planet that that um, used to have a lot of c3 activity on it but they've abandoned it and it was kind of a, a classic um it was more kind of railway trees actually at the time wasn't it clem but it was um yeah you had the classic kind of foam hills i made myself which i was actually very happy with and i made um these are uh, the the sorry the bases you gave me. I stuck actually some kind of mantic sci-fi crates on them and wanted to make it look like an abandoned, a long abandoned base. Yeah, it's and like an outpost it a, on a remote world. Exactly. And very exotic and very nice overall. Exactly. And then I think I did a custom scenario where there was um they were they were looking for some data or something like that, and I think there were three of these kind of abandoned base things on the map. And I think you had to go to them and interact with them and try and uh, get victory points or something. I usually, to be honest, Dave, I usually yep. just make something up. Um, yeah. I mean, if this one, I, I prepared it in advance, but there was a little, you know, for, for every game, I just like to have a little bit of story of like, well, what are we actually doing? Because, you know, when you play a tabletop game um, and you're sort of, you know, it seems quite abstract what you're trying to do. Yeah, I find it's that just sometimes pushing a bit... bits of plastic around a table and throwing dice, as opposed to engaging in a in a narrative and and being part of a story, which Precisely. is for me one of the main reasons to play the games. Exactly. I mean, I I love when the dice sometimes also make up the story, right? Like you <laughs> you have the starting. It's kind of like an improv session. Then you yeah. know, like you have the starting point. And then it's you kind of like play ping pong with ideas. So Chris will set up the table and say, "Hey, I thought about this scenario and played like this." And then maybe there's a quick discussion, like, "Oh, maybe let's uh, uh, change it a tiny bit so that the scenario is a bit more balanced or m- more interesting. If we just change it that way, what do you think? Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Then you roll on with it, and then maybe sometime during the game something unexpected happens with the dice." Or you you make a crazy uh, tactical decision, but it fits with the story, or it, it gives an interesting twist to the story, and makes it so much more engaging than if you play, you know, with unpainted stuff and flat pieces of cardboard, or like a random thing to maybe have some terrain and as you as you mentioned, right, to make it very abstract. Um, it, it's a completely different experience if you can have some more immersion and and uh, yeah, just build a cool story with friends uh, while you, you you play it. One of my problems with terrain at the moment is that I know that Saris has got some beautiful um, Antares-based terrain in MDF. They really for do, yeah, and Freeborn mm. and some of the garbage and pieces. But there's there's nothing really for Algorin, nothing really for the Intel factions, and it's like trying to find something that really kind of speaks to me that 
says, okay, this is an Isaurian outpost. This is um, a, a the starting of a colony for for, for, for Concord or, you know, a, a forward base for Algorin. And it's it's trying to find things like that. And, you know, part of me would love to get a, a 3D printer to be able to print some of the things out. Uh, but unfortunately, I, I, I can't fit one of those in my room at the moment. Uh, but yeah, well, you I can mean, have some, some commissions, but yeah. uh, maybe we need to, we need to find someone among the listeners or the community to, you know, like some artists who could come up with sketches and drawings and you know, kind of flesh out this those visuals and expand on what's existing. That's it, and then I, yeah, I know that we've got uh, in in the Facebook group we've got a, a chap called Steve. I forget his surname. He's our, our friend. For, I was going to mention this. Our friend from Corvus Terrain. He's super talented. Yeah. He's so, he is, he's such definitely. a nice guy. And, yeah, and yeah. there's a sale on at the moment as well, a digital sale that he's got on, like 20% off the digital range. And I'm thinking, well, I could just buy the STLs, and then if I get a printer in the future, I'd or be commission able to print, someone print to print them, them right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that means having friends. Not necessarily. <laughs> Not necessarily. Cash. Yeah, exactly. One, one or the other. I mean, if they're your friends, you're paying in other ways, right? Yeah, Just not so. non-monetary yeah. normally. But um, yeah, no, they're they're beautiful and and yeah. Actually, funnily enough, I was on. I was looking at that earlier, going, "Oh my goodness, this is yeah. really really nice. They're really really nice." Yeah. Um, but yeah, but it's uh, Steve was also into enters. That's great news because he is very talented and like quite prolific right like he's created a bunch of terrain and i'm sure that's also something you could keep doing in the future like uh you know what i just said flesh out the universe and uh create more environments that's exactly the type of stuff he's doing exactly and i, and I very much suspect i don't think he picks the things that maximize his income i think he picks the stuff he's inspired to do because otherwise i guess he'd be making faux 40k stuff which he never ever does you know um, yeah, he's no, making romantic walking dead stuff he's making yes. you know so um but yeah and he designed actually he designed those files clem for the shield things or, or the solar panels or whatever you want to make them that we had on the table that. yeah 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 okay. yeah he That's designed them yeah yeah so he's no he's he's already involved and he's literally the best person you can imagine getting involved it's it's interesting within taris it's it's a very small passionate community with with some incredibly talented people and while we're at it dear listener and then there's to, us right and then there's us yeah exactly and there's <laughs> you and i again dave talented Dave, you're not, not included so in, the, exactly. <laughs> in the lousy people in us we're actually good at it like chris tried to uh you know, catch you by surprise. Oh, do you know the the name of that guy? No, of course. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you everything about it. Just quiz me on it. Come at me. It's it's a misspent use. Yeah, misspent. I, I mean, having said that, I wouldn't say we spent our use particularly well, though, Clem. <laughs> if I'm honest. But um, I would make just... a comment. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, buddy. Or our middle age, while we think about it. Yeah. And uh, just while we're talking about talented people, don't forget, dear listener. Um, the tabletop warlords are on YouTube. Um, it's been a little while since they made a video, but their their stuff is literally the highest quality. It's absolutely amazing. Um, it is. They don't just make you know great videos, brilliant production values. They make gorgeous tables. It just looks stunning, um, and they make most importantly to me to be honest they make wonderful little stories and campaigns and all this just ideas flying around, imagination stuff that we we love so they're much. 
95% of why this podcast exists, aren't they? That's yes. true. Yeah, no, it is. That's absolutely true. Yeah, yeah. So I, years ago, I picked up some Antari stuff when the Warlord had a sale because I, I thought the game looked amazing. And it was always going to be my sci-fi game that I just somehow never got around to doing. Um, you know, it never got to the top of the, the pile. Um, and and then, Clem, you and I were just talking about it because it turned out, I think you, you were interested in it. But oh, then, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've mm. been eyeing it for a long time. And Mantic had had a a small scale two by two um, sci-fi skirmish game, which is amazing called dead zone. Um, but then they also sort of had a kind of similar to 40 K or, or Antares scale game um, called firefight, which came out eh, about a year and a half ago. And that's really, really good. So I've got obviously a ton of armies for that. We I play that. Um, so it's um, somehow Antares never got to the top of the queue, but it, sh- it absolutely should have been, you know, super. Okay, guys. Um, but yeah, but in terms of Antares terrain, I mean, if you've just got stuff lying around, you could make a case for anything, really. I mean, if you've got a, a world west town, you could make a story where they travel through time or go through a, a gate and come out. You know, you could make a case for absolutely anything. Um, but I think the kind of high science fiction style Antares has, you know, the the classic style makes for amazing tables, you know. So it's... That's- it, Sorry, Bunny. No, no, I just want to say that's really what speaks to me the most, for sure. Me too. That's the, the most interesting aspects. But uh, I'm just trying to get the dear listener to go, oh, okay, no, I could. I've got I've got that stuff. You know, I could I can make that work. You know, get and get into the game. You know, I'm trying to remove all the excuses possible the dear listener has for not getting in. Super. So we should so let's move on to our section, the shard. So let's talk about the gar. Dave, as as always, shall we just sort of have a go at it and then you can sort of go you know and be the dad and sort of guys that's quite that's quite good bless you you're you you know you're scratching you know at a a very basic level you're scratching at the surface and that's okay and so how do planes fly well they have (laughs) they have wings like birds and then they go in the air and then he comes in and also there's the it's the curvature and the air passing (laughs) over the top of the wing that goes faster and there's a whole pressure thing that lifts already already you've got too technical for me (laughs) right so let's do this but then for gar lore that's perfect i mean for things like lore um and the background of the games and things that everybody interacts with parts of antares in that way in their own way um what you know it it, what can happen and certainly what has happened with other games is that people kind of gatekeep and that you can't paint those people with blue buttons they never wore blue buttons they've got to be green buttons and it's like well antares is very much how you choose to interact with it so there is obviously a lot of literature written down and, and published but it's it's really how you guys want to interact with that that's that's important so so yeah you you you, you carry on and if there's anything that is completely out of the way i i'll turn down your throats and shout at you and also dave i mean who's writing this down you can't trust those tricky intels no, with exactly. this sort of stuff you know uh, no, it's, it's, it's uh, very suspicious down, yes so the so the gar and what i what i'm trying to get across here 
is um, let's get across why people might think they're cool is the, I, th- I think the aim for this so Gar- the girl so I've, I've watched so I was planning on reading the book I've got to be honest I haven't but what I have done is watched the Tabletop Warlords YouTube video on the Gar Empire it's their episode 4 of their lore episodes it's very very good very enter- entertaining so um, the Gar are sort of weird humanoid goblins they are sort of goblin-y type they they look in, to me a little bit like a shaved ape as well. Well, that's are that's they, how the warlords, tabletop warlords, describe them. That's what they, they look they a little bit like a shaved them. ape. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I kind of disagree with that though. I don't know. Okay, like, like they they kind of weak humanoids, but goblins. Mm. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll settle for that. They're weirdo humanoid shaved monkey type weirdos. Yes, um, and <clears throat> so they were. They've been out around a really, really long time, probably since the first um, age. I think it was called age. Oh, dear listener, please listen to our uh, previous episode to, to clarify that. Um, and it seems like very likely. So they were bred for a purpose and they're still being bred. And it seems very much like that purpose may be war. So the Gar can basically plug into these very iconic Gar battle suits. So it's, sounds like quite an unpleasant process so you're taking this weird little goblin type thing that clem doesn't think is a goblin which fair enough and um they're making war the whole time so their planet is called i don't know let's say gar prime or something i forget but no one else has ever been there except for the gar no one else knows where it is um but it is just basically one massive metal munitions factory that's endlessly pumping out weapons and resources for for fighting their endless pointless wars and they've got vats growing more and more gar so it's almost like a a combat unit of gar are all just bred in a vat and you know sent on their way they're almost like made to order so you can imagine super industrial um and you know they're very ruthlessly um you know, uh, the, 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 it's called the Gar Empire, but it sounds like it's actually very fractured. Um, but the the air is disgusting on the planet. It's just the worst. It reminds me a lot, actually, but it, even more extreme of the Harkonnen in June, if anyone knows that, dear listener. Um, well, I guess with the film, people will know if you've read the books. Yeah. There's it's something like this. Except they, they seem a lot nightmare. more kind of more mindless, right? Like. When I checked out the lore and I did the same thing as you did, I have to admit, um, it made me think, well, where do they actually come from? Like, who's pushing the buttons behind? Like, is this a, a headless chicken running around or is there still a head hidden somewhere? That's a great That's a great question, Clem. I mean, I think the, know? the leadership of the Gar are doing this, but there would have there would have been, you're right, Clem, there would have been some other intelligence whether it was other humans or god goodness knows what you're right but the, they're not really serving their in, in original purpose or at least the mission we don't know not, we don't, we don't know. know maybe we they don't are know. maybe they are yeah. maybe it's just one weird entity on a remote planet somewhere that found that the best way to you know have minions to bring them whatever they need and is just to create the guards or maybe like some human scouts encountered a huge alien entity and uh, 
were enslaved and modified to serve the dark purposes. Who knows? You can come up with tons of explanations for it, that's, right? Yeah, and that's cool, right? And actually, you make a good point, Clem. They've got something I forgot. They've got they capture human slaves, so they capture you know people from the other factions and civilians and whatever, and just take them back to their planet to live this nightmare slave existence of just you know doing whatever work the guard don't want to do. And obviously they're a super super militaristic society. Um, it reminds me a lot actually when I think about it. In my mind, it reminds me of a incredibly sinister doctor who bad guy you know from the old series in the 1970s or whatever you know it reminds me of the daleks of the cybermen of these you know actually pretty you know when, when i was a kid these things used to absolutely terrify me and I, I was fascinated by it but i could very much imagine them being you know an even more extreme doctor who bad guy you know of like the the cybermen or something they've had all their humanity taken out of them and um i could imagine something kind of similar if you were playing i mean they just relentlessly fight wars right and they sort of um i think they even eat it's like a soil and green type situation i think they even eat everything is about war so there's nothing there's no concern about you know food tasting nice it's purely to serve the purpose and they you know they will use matter from other um gar to you know they're literally cannibalism you know it's the soil and green type situation and i think the the play style is very unique they you know that they're, they're creating this horrible kind of like toxic sludge and that comes across in the rules with the disruption dice and just you know it must be deeply unpleasant to be around just to be around them they're disgusting and polluting and all the rest of it um if we were what do you think what sort of players do we think would be interested in playing as the guard they've got these heavy battle suits what do we what do we think guys is super appealing if you want to play a certain play style or you know you want to play a thoroughly disgusting faction what do we what do we think is going to appeal to to new players who might want to pick up the gar the uh, i mean the, just the basic battle suits themselves just uh, you know a, a couple of squads of those are just generally when you're getting into the game are really difficult to take down and that the, the guard do open up a whole different way of of interacting with the Antares rules because of the distortion dice, because of the disruptor weapons that they have, you know, that they're not just dropping one pin on you when they hit, that some of that sometimes they can uh that that, that uh, on depending upon what mode that their scourers uh, are set to, uh, they can uh, take you for two pins that they've got the uh, uh, assault suits that can force you down so they can shoot it it, it one unit force them down whilst their amps uh, are on and then assault a different unit without fear of uh, the enemy that, that you've just knocked down being able to counter assault you that it's 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 getting up close it's getting in the uh the opponent's face and it's doing it in a great big walking tank so yeah the the, the, the kind of person who's who's it would want to pick this up is is somebody who on the surface of it wants to get across the board reasonably quick and stand in your face and punch you to death 
sounds about my play style so maybe <laughs> give it a try i have to say i like the the cheekiness of it uh, because that was also my understanding that they kind of bring a special special twist on the on the game and and how things are played and that seems interesting i think the only thing that uh, stops me from uh, going with them is i it feels like a faction that uh, requires a bit more experience or maybe something that you you go into as a second faction yes so, i don't know maybe it's uh, yeah uh, the, could work the, but the generally uh, the consensus over the past few years has been if when you're starting out with with Antares, it's preferable to go with things like the Concord, the Algorin, Preborn, just to kind of get the basics down because the Gar are very different. Again, that they are bringing in uh, disruption dice, they're bringing in a lot of. Uh, mod two units using two order dice with their amps and just ju- just the playstyle. And that if you're playing against somebody who knows how to kind of temper the gar, then you- you're going to struggle because quite often with with gar, that it is kind of eggs in one basket, and sometimes that basket can. <laughs> get deleted quite easily yeah yeah yeah. upended the egg basket and and it not all go to plan but if you've got plans then you're probably not playing gar as effectively as you could yeah it's it's kind of cheating using plans my my worry my worry if if new players pick up this faction is that it'll just be either the you know let's say the c3 player can't do enough damage and can't really wound the the gar so it feels frustrating they can't seem to fight back or that as as we said, the Gar have got all their eggs in one basket. I mean, I've only played against the Gar once, um, and they got some terrible luck with some um, some nerve rolls, and they couldn't do very much. And the, you know, you have very expensive uh, units. You don't have so many order dice, and you need you know you you need your your big battle suits to to be doing a lot of work. And if they can't you're in trouble, particularly, of course, because it is a, an objective-based game. So you're already at a disadvantage. You can't get on so many points as the Concord, or, you know, it's you're already in a tricky situation. So, as yeah, I think you're totally right, Clem. In my, my opinion, I think, as a, as a beginner, and as your opponent will also be a beginner, I would I think the Gar is a, is a faction to avoid at first. But having said that, they do also have, you know, we talk, we mentioned them earlier, the out, the outcasts, which are basically the punishment battalions in the in the USSR army. Um, um, so they do have, you know, cheap chaff, um, to which you know is more flexible, and you can get on objectives, and they're a bit faster if I if memory serves me correctly. But they're more they're more like a traditional squad in you know in antares they're much more like a, just a normal infantry unit and they might be akin to i mean i only saw them in in one game but they may be akin to something like goblins where you've got a lot of them they're not very good uh but you know quantity is a, is a quality all in itself exactly um, and that with the lugger guns that they've got they've got essentially rapid fire they're shooting twice so if you've got a unit of 10 of them that's 20 shots if you can and, get them to survive and get into short range but i think it, right it, 
even 20 shots it's in a a reasonable range it's it's gonna cause at least generally a pin and they have wiped units out i've seen it happen that they just uh, a whole fistful of dice and it's like yeah that unit there it's not there anymore because of those gar with pop guns so yeah they're certainly not to be underestimated uh, but again it is just knowing how to manage playing against the gar when you're fighting uh, against them and uh, having a uh, trying to learn how to maximize them when you finally do go for for that army after uh, after learning the basics, I think I, I feel they could also have a pretty strong narrative role in games. Oh, right? like kind of like the um, uh, you would have other factions fight it out or like have something going on, and then out of nowhere or like they realize that oh, there's already a gar um, infestation here or. Uh, you know, like they oh, already totally are on the clear. on the planet, or like uh, they realized, oh, we were being manipulated by the guards, or I'm like as a storyteller, I, f- I feel like the guards have something very interesting uh, for them, and so maybe they could do quite well as a scenario NPCs or something like this. You know, like we both play with a more, let's say, easy for beginner faction, but then um, maybe there's a small uh, sub faction of guards that are kind of playing as I a love this idea, to, yeah, 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 disrupt uh, literally what's going on, you know. But also, I mean, you could have, yeah, I think that's a great idea, Clem. Once the guards start coming, they're likely to like relentlessly keep coming, right? Um, so what would be super, super cool is if you were, you and your, let's say, for example, Algorin and C3 are fighting over a planet. And then, as you said, Clem, suddenly, oh, geez, there's some gar. And you could have them as sort of NPCs that could attack, you know, when their dice comes out, that maybe you could put their dice. So you could have a squad of three bombers or something. Um, and you can put their dice plus the disruption dice in the bag, shake it up, and you can agree with your friend, okay, well, you know, they'll shoot at whatever's closest or the greatest threat or, you know, whatever whatever you agree with is fair with your friend. And yeah, then or like the whatever their out, dice come up, you need to discuss and, like, argue and, okay, what would the guard do in this situation? And exactly. then there's another level of play. Exactly. Like, convince your, convince your friend... No, that's what makes the most sense from the scenario, from the story perspective. And they shoot at your guys, not mine. But if no, but actually, you say that, Clem, and it is funny. But to be honest, if it was us, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be like that. We'd be like, no, no, no of course. shoot at my guys because. Yeah, yeah, no, you know. I, I'm saying this just, uh, just as a joke. But I think they could really bring a like a cool. Uh, narrative twist it's, it's helpful yeah because i mean usually when we write narrative stuff in um in in the in the mantic uh, warpath you, you know their their universe we normally have you know the same old tropes of who the ba- who are the bad guys you know it's usually the maison labs the kind of evil scientist guys um but yeah it could it, they're not evil having, they're just uh, oh sorry amoral amoral yeah yeah amoral. totally totally yeah um but you're absolutely right clem having this just very very you know bad faction quote unquote in the game is very very helpful from a storytelling point of view dave how did we do what do you think that's again that uh, um a lot of it there it sounds as if you've got the uh, the basics down uh, that the gar are led by the supreme leader 
of Sagar. Um, and yeah, they're, they're all vat grown. Have we, they, have we they already just seen this guy? Pan, hum, pan humanity. Um, Fartok has. Fartok's met him. Um, yeah. and, and after certain events, after Xylos um, had been granted uh, command of the Gar forces. Didn't he rebel, Fartok? That it wasn't really his choice. He was double crossed by that double crossing Gar. Let me just grab my Xylos book. Where is it? But, Clem, I love what you were getting at there is, well, actually, who is actually behind the Gar? Actually, that's a fascinating thing that maybe we could, in a 100% unofficial way, explore that ourselves. Yeah, maybe there's something going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, buddy. But uh, it is inspiring stuff. And I think that's what I love about all of those universes and so on. It's like, it feels like there's a starting point. And uh, you can just build your own stories and then, you know, write at the margin of it and uh, create your own stuff. I think it's very interesting. Yeah, definitely. Because it was the uh, the battle of, I'm going to say Ephra. It was either Zyra or Ephra. I think Zyra was the Algorin and Isaurian battle of Ephra, where uh, Gar Commander Karg double-crossed Fartok. Uh, oh, can escaped. we go, Dave? Can we go? <laughs> Sorry, I'll stop interrupting. If, if, if you want to, uh, I very much do. I won't stop you. Um, and that when then um, Karg became the main leader of the Gar fighting forces at that point in in that region, um, he'd gone to to Zylos and Fartok. Uh, was out there to to kind of get his revenge with his Gar rebels, but uh, now that uh, I think I think Karg got his comeuppance and uh, uh, Fartak uh, eventually won overall and is uh, is now back in the uh, the Gar Empire fold. Nice. So I think that's probably the most thought I've put into the Gar in terms of their background and lore. But there's 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 stuff there, isn't there? There's, I mean, I, I very much, I, I can definitely see them as being our antagonist faction. Um, they're so but, much fun. But exactly, yeah, exactly. But that's really, really interesting, fantastic. I mean, I'm to be honest, I mean, just from playing um, Algorin, they are, you know, it's it's classic playing Gates of Antares, but I just really enjoy how they play. You know, they're quite elite. The the stuff is good at. It's quite specialist. I, I, sorry, Dave, I've only played a few games, as you know, but it seems like the stuff is quite specialist and it's good at what it does, uh, which I quite enjoy in games. I usually quite enjoy that. That If you get it wrong, it normally goes horribly wrong, but the you know the stuff is decent. Yeah, um, yeah and I've just, I've just really enjoyed playing them. I mean, that's why people love Space Marines, right? Because they're similar and uh, you can be bad at it and because the troops are good, they... Uh, correct your own mistakes. Is that right, Chris? What's Sorry, a space that's... marine? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well played. That was a cheap. That was a cheap. Uh, hey, cheap I'll tell you, what, and you You did right. You did changing, well. changing the subject dramatically. So I actually I gave someone their first ever game of Kings of War Ambush earlier, which is small scale Kings of War. And uh, Clem, it was it was good. So the everyone was dead except for a Twilight Kim hero. 
and with a knife and a ogre warlock and the uh, for three everyone else was dead and like for three turns these two were just fighting each other until the uh, the ogre warlock got stabbed <laughs> to death and then that was and that was the end <laughs> so that's like a cool story as anyway claim i'm smashing noobs you know that's that's my whole thing you know just uh, i mean you have to find the right opponent if you want to win <laughs> you know <laughs> the wrong opponent exactly exactly uh, good, uh, super. No, that's um, that's really exciting. And actually, and we're we're coming to the end of the episode, dear listener. And sorry, Dave, is there anything else we missed out on Gar Law? I have one question for him first. Hmm. Uh, if I want to read more about Gar Law, what should I do? There's, I'm pretty sure there's more information on the Nexus. The, I know that. Um, if you have access to the original um, Antares book and the uh, Battle for Zyros, uh, the Crisis Shard, and the uh, oh, the Drone Scourge uh, Returns expansion books, that there'd be uh, a whole host of background in there, um, along with, I, I can't remember, gosh, if Open Signal and Dimensional Gates, the uh, collection of short stories, if they've got any gar stories in there um but certainly on the nexus i'm sure i've seen um the background document to the gar um and even like the the army list itself has got a bit of uh yes, narrative there is some, to, some in here. to it there as well that kind of goes goes into it um Clem, you've got your first edition rule book as well buddy i think there's a lot in there yep, yeah yep. it's a good uh, it's a good thing Good. Yeah, thanks. And then you can uh, get back to the to your question, Chris. It was, uh, is there anything else we missed on the GAR? Is that right? I, th- I think that you've pretty much covered it mostly off. Yeah. With Super. artistic additions uh, based on ignorance, you know, we, we fill up with <laughs> other stuff. But it's good. I think it's uh, that's our way of doing it. And uh, it means we make it our own. And that's the best uh, way to approach games uh, in my book. Fantastic. And yeah, so is there, um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, and, and dear listener, this episode got pushed back a few times and then we were getting to the point where you start to get a little bit nervous. Ah, is this actually going to happen? Because, you know, things in life, you know, we're all so busy and priorities and, you know, once, once something starts to fall down the list, particularly when you've, you're have trying to get four or five people to coordinate, it does get harder and harder, I think. So I'm really, really glad we've made this third episode. I think it's been a terrific one. And, Me um, too. Yeah, and Clem, I mean, to be honest, this stuff, it's too good for us to forget about it, to be quite honest with you. So I'm, I'm glad we've got we've got you back and sat you down and forced you to listen to more cool, cool stuff because it's not just the rules of the game. The, the rules of the game of Antares are phenomenal. The dice bag mechanics, really amazing. Um, it's so tactical. You know, the, the two games I played in the UK in the two games, I think I lost four things. I had two guys dead and two drones dead, but it was purely just play the objectives, get on things, you know, um, and it, they were fascinating games. So the the lore is amazing. The stories we can tell with this are level, uh, uh, absolutely amazing. So to be honest, for me, this is just too good for us just to kind of forget about it and go, oh, but we do have Kings of War. We do have Firefight to play. We, we Yeah, we do. But this has got to get a look in. It's too, it's too good to forget about, buddy. No, I agree. Uh, if anything, for the... Um... Uh, for the pod for me it's more 
uh, like there's a legitimacy aspect to it in a way, like because we are complete beginners uh, with well, Dave again, you're not included, sorry, <laughs> but um, so it feels a bit weird sometimes. But I think it is still a valid position to uh, talk about the game because we do genuinely love it and we do genuinely love the universe. And uh, so yeah, I think it's uh, it's worth. It. And I had a good time. So if anything, there's always that, you know. That's exactly that's the base. We we all had a lovely time. That's the that's the most important thing. We're doing this in our free time. None of us are getting paid. Um, but uh, but beyond that, it's you know we're I, th- I really think we're building to something. You know, it's it goes. It, doing the pod forces us to do some stuff. And okay, dear listener, apologies. We haven't actually done that much since last month. Um, but we, you know, we've just hit upon this idea of, okay, let's do the skirmish thing for next time. And then climb your, you, you're going to build up your two forces. So we're growing. We ha- hope the community grows with us. Obviously we've invited the dear listener to come with us and build yourself a, a starter force to, to play this game, this brilliant, brilliant game. Fantastic. And um, uh, Dave, I'll be honest this pod would be you know not even half as good if we didn't have your your very kind help um you're very much the adult in the room and you you make a you make all the difference honestly <laughs> so thank you so much for coming it's, it's, with us. it's nice to be involved as well it's just you know that I, I again that there'd been a, a long period where i hadn't done much painting and much hobby things it kind of feeling like it was getting a bit kind of monotonous and oh well I just need to paint the all these factions that I have, and it's now kind of given me a kickstart in into doing it. And as I say, I, I've I've painted me uh, uh, Asgar, got through all of them, and I'm most of the way through my um, Isaurians. I just need to decide what to paint next, whether it be being my Boromites, my Freeborn, or my Gar. I, I I haven't decided yet. So I think Dave, I think we'll take it offline, dear listener. And Dave hasn't agreed to any of this. So uh, where it is, I'm hitting them with it as I think of the idea. So I think what we ought to do. So we're doing, obviously, we're doing this new strike force idea. And I think the idea is, is it going to be the end of March, Clem? We're going to play. We're going to play the games. Something um, like this, yeah. So let's let's go for it. So Dave, if you, if you're if you're with us, obviously, if you can find yourself a local opponent and play with, yeah. what I'm thinking of is let's just let's just make a very very simple little um, story of okay, well, what's what's happening? We are, we're only going to play small games. It's going to be small strike forces. So maybe a new gate has opened up and we've all gone to a new planet or something like this. There's some resources. Who knows? Obviously, it's got to be so. Anyone that's dearless, anyone that's listening can can play with us. So we, maybe we come up with a little word document or something yeah. of a couple of scenarios we make ourselves. It's got to be flexible enough, flexible enough that anyone can play whatever faction they want to play yeah. and have fun. And maybe you know we can all just play this weekend. How did your game go? How did your game go? And together with the dear listener, we can we can put all that together and say, okay, well, what actually happened on this planet? you know what was the what what you know and uh to me this is just this is taking a brilliant experience and then just elevating it just that little bit that this is really really fun and we're doing this together yeah. and putting it into the community as well because totally that's, that's what it's all for totally exactly Sounds exactly good. yeah that's yeah exactly because it takes it oh me and clem had a, a fun game of gates of antares and that was the end of that to we're doing something collaboratively with the community, right? Because I mean, you know, um, we are. We, you know, we, we just 
we're just fans of this stuff that have started making a podcast because we want to drag people along with us and go, this game is too good to be forgotten about. Let's keep playing it. Let's have great times. Super. I think that's a probably a pretty good place to end the pod. Guys, thank you so much for joining me. Dear listener, thank you for coming with us. We really appreciate it. Get to Skytrex, buy some models, get them painted, share some photos, and let's have some fun and more information about our little uh, scenarios and our little uh, situation is going to follow on the uh, Intel page, I imagine. Yeah, and I think also what Andy forgot to mention is uh, you should subscribe to the Skytrex newsletter if you haven't done so already, uh, because that's where you will hear about... Also, all the latest uh, stuff from them and uh, potential uh, special sales for Christmas that I think he hinted at. Um, so, yeah, do check it out and do uh, subscribe to the newsletter to get your information directly at the source. Uh, that sounds like a good idea. Well done, Clem. Good point. Thanks, dear listener. You are, and you are listening to the... Oh, sorry, just before we start, actually. Hey, Andy, could I ask you just to record us a quick little plug where you say, hey, this is Andy from Skytrex, and you are listening to the... Man- uh, not the Mantic Universe podcast. What's this called? <laughs> not the Mates of Antares. <laughs> uh, yeah, not mind. one at all. Yeah, so you need to record before he does that. No, no, this, record? This is, we're yes, recording, buddy. Recording. This is all gold. <laughs> this is going to make an excellent blooper for the end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you even got the name of the podcast right. That's perfect.